So my sermon title, as many of you guys have seen, is um, titled Shalom. And you might be asking yourself, wait, isn't this the week we talk about hope and not peace? I'll get to that. Just so you know, I'm going to clear that up. Oh, too many papers. All right. <laughs> um, so good morning, church, and welcome. Um, I'm going to tell you about a man named Thomas. Okay, by the way, no, I'm not talking about Tom Jones. <laughs> um, some of you guys may know the man I'm talking about. Some of you may not. Um, Thomas Hunter was an ordinary man who found himself caught up in things he shouldn't have been caught up in. In fact, one night he finds himself running down an alleyway to get away from this mob that's coming after him to kill him um, because he has information that they want from him. And his life hangs in the balance. Finally, he makes it home into his own bed, exhausted. He falls asleep, and the minute he falls asleep, he goes into what he thinks is this dream of this perfect world. This world where there's a lush, beautiful ground, where people have plenty to eat. Nobody is starving. There is no war. Um, People are like 200 years old. Uh, It's just a a beautiful scene. Um, But then Thomas goes to sleep, and he wakes back up in what he believes is reality. And in this reality, again, he is facing a war. He is finding himself caught up in things he has no business to be caught up in. And all the while, he's thinking there, and he's thinking about this world that has been introduced to him, this world of perfection, this world of renewal, that he just decides, man, I want to be in that world. And so he goes through his day trying to solve this mystery of whatever it is he's got himself caught up in because he doesn't know. He goes back to sleep, and when he goes back to sleep, he finds himself in this presumed world. And now he's starting to wonder, wait, am I in this reality of the old earth where death and destruction and war and, and famine reign, or... Am I living in this reality of this new world where there's hope, where there's joy, where everything is just good? Now, I'm not going to spoil this because this is a book. This is called um, Green, or it's called The Circle by Ted Decker. In case you're wondering, it's a fantastic book. Um, any of you want to read it? It's like my favorite book, but I digress. <laughs> we find ourselves, though, in that longing I'm sure many of us can actually resonate with that. We're in this world, but man, I can't wait to get to that world. The grass is greener on the other side. And I don't just, you know, tell you this story because it's a fun story, but it actually goes really well with today's uh, scripture reading. Our passage for today is Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Um, If you would like to join me in reading that, you can find the means in which you choose. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the highest of the mountains and will be lifted up above the hills, and the nations will flow to it. And many people will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his path. For out of Zion we shall, or shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem." 
He shall judge between the nations and decide disputes for many people. And he shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and neither will they learn war anymore. Oh, house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Join me in prayer. Holy God of hope. Give us your ears to hear, your hearts to trust, and patience as we wait for the promises you offer us in anticipation of your coming. May we hear your words of hope as we gather here today. Amen. A few years ago, I decided to go with the schoolagers through each book of the Bible, like each week was a different book of the Bible. And... Some of you guys might know, some of you might not, but each day is a different theme. So like Monday is the Bible lesson, Tuesday is the game, Wednesdays we do a craft, and Thursdays we do music, right? And this is the same routine. It's been this way for like eight years now. And I always try to pair the craft and the game and even the music. Um, Hannah's been doing a phenomenal job about that also recently um, because we all partner together now to teach the same thing that we learn on Sunday mornings. Um, but whatever lesson I take on, or I teach on Monday, is the game that we teach on Tuesday and the craft that they do on Wednesday. And so when it came to the book of, um, of course, brain fart, uh, when it came to the story of David and Goliath, um, I taught a game called Giants. Julie loves this game, it's her favorite game. Literally, a teacher walks into the room and they yell, giant, or giants, and the kids hit the floor as quick as they can. If you want a fun test, walk into the gym anytime and yell giants and watch the kids hit the floor at any given time. It's great, right? But this is because it was reinforcing that the Israelites, when faced with giants, what would they do? They would duck and cover and cower in fear. To this day, I have yet one of them to stand up and say, I'm not afraid of the giants, and if they do, they win. Um, they don't know that, but uh, <laughs> um, because we don't need to be afraid of the giants, right? The second game that we play is a game called Judges. This is the kid's personal favorite. Um, in this game, there's a Philistine, and the Philistine is the tagger. They are it, and they get to run around and tag as many people as they want to. Well, then uh, one of the teachers selects what is a judge. By the way, Catherine, no giving hints away. <laughs> um, by now there's a judge and the judge's job is to go and unfreeze all of the Israelites that are tagged and they're sitting on the ground nobody else can touch them um, and that is because what was the hope of the judges the judges would come in and they would bring the people back to God and every time that there was a judge in play the Israelites they were rock solid in following God but then what would happen when the judge would die? Well, panic ensues in the game because the kids now no longer have the safety net of staying in the game. And so they're running around in chaos and as they get tagged, they have to go and they have to sit down because they're out of the game. The purpose of this lesson was to teach the kids that there's always going to be somebody to, to bring us back to God. And when we have that somebody in our lives, we don't have to be afraid of the Philistines. We don't have to be afraid of the people coming to attack us. But as I stopped and I thought about this, these two games, yes, they're biblical-based, but they're still games about 
war. There are still games about this party coming up against this other party and fighting them so that one party can dominate. And it's not just that game. I mean, we have so many other games in our culture today that are this way. Since the beginning of time, we have had these threads where violence and war run rampant in our culture. Now, I'm setting this up because while we're talking about hope, and we're talking about peace today, um, when Pastor Tanner, Pastor Hannah, Pastor Will, and myself, by the way, it's great to say so many pastor names as a one team working together, we sat down a few weeks ago, I don't remember how long ago, and we talked about this upcoming Advent season. And we talked about what each week will look like. What's the message that we want to bring each week? And the question that we came down to was, what are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? Like Thomas, we're waiting for the grass to be greener on the other side, right? We're waiting to get there. And the Israelites, they had that same desire, See, their history, both biblical and their current history, is a history wrought with war, with battles, with fighting, with violence, with suffering. Few instances are, we've got Cain killing his brother Abel. You've got the slaves in Egypt having to be subject to the Pharaoh. You've got Joshua fighting the battle of Jericho. David fighting Goliath, but David then sleeping with Bathsheba and having her husband sent out to be killed on the front lines. You have Gideon and his three army of 300 men. You have Samson and Delilah, Samson who loses his strength. And then when he, um, when the time comes, he says, God, give me my strength back. And he gets his strength back and he kills more men in his death than he does in his life. These are just a very small amount of examples of the fights and the war that the Israelites faced every single day. If you want more examples, read your Old Testament. Like, it's a great, great place to learn the history of the Israelites, but also the history of the work of God through the world. Um, the particular war that the Israelites are facing as in, in our text today um, the, the war that Isaiah is pinpointing the most is the war of the Assyrians against the Israelites. Now at that time, you have to understand the Assyrians thought that they were the, the big kahuna, right? They were the best people. Every time a king would rise, that king would be the king that was going to bring God, their god Asher, into the world, that nobody could defeat the Assyrians because the Assyrians' God is the great God. The Assyrians' God is the ruler of the world. But was it? Were they just so big-headed that they couldn't stop to fathom that Yahweh was far greater than Asher would ever be? The answer is no. They really thought that they were so big, that they were so powerful, that even Yahweh could not bring them down. And as a result, the Assyrians used this as their basis for why they not just like ruled the world, 
but for why they dominated it in a way that brought death and destruction and pain and suffering to the people, especially to the Israelites. Isaiah is aware of this oppressive power, and he knows that the imperial powers, um, that this is not the end of imperial powers rising and subjugating people groups as they rise to power. We know beyond this moment of what Isaiah is saying, that imperial powers still rise. Imperial powers still come into play and they still bring death and destruction and subjugation and defeat to the world around them. There is a continual flow of imperial powers. Last week, Pastor Tanner talked about the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God. The imperial rulers of the world, the rulers that rise up and dominate, much like the Assyrian kings did, are living in the kingdom of darkness because they are living in a world that says that they are above all others. They are exploiting the world for their own gain. And this isn't how it should be. We know this, but this isn't how it should be. When God created the world, he did not create the world with violence and chaos and death and destruction. He did not fill the world with pain and suffering. He did not fill the world with wars against one another. So Isaiah is telling the people of Israel that there is somebody who is coming to to eradicate that. There is someone who will judge the world. And through their judgment, they will not only bring light into the world, they will change the weapons of destruction into tools for life. They will change weapons of destruction for tool, to tools that bring life to others. This person will bring peace and life into a world filled with war and death. This is the hope. Hear that. This is the hope that Isaiah is bringing to the Israelites. And it's the hope that we continue to have today. That's the hope that Advent brings. That Christ is coming. And in his coming, the earth will come to take, or in his coming to earth, he will take all of the weapons of the world and turn them into tools for restoration. This is the peace, the shalom of Christ that surpasses all of our human understanding. This is the shalom that brings life into humanity. And that's a beautiful hope that Isaiah is bringing to the people, or to the Israelites. It's a beautiful hope that we get to cling on to. But the war is still there. When I was younger, my sister already knows I was going to talk about this. When I was younger, my sister and I, we used to play these games. Um, we used to play the card game War, um, one that was called Extreme, or Egyptian, yep. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, we would play Battleship. We would play Mastermind. And often these games turned violent quickly. And when I say violent, I don't mean just like we're slamming cards on the table. I mean like... We've had a lot of bruises. Um, and we, we would play this game called Hit for Hit where we would literally punch each other. 
until somebody walked away with the biggest bruise or backed down or our mom yelled at us and said, stop fighting, right? Many of parents, you guys know what it's like to be that intercessor that says, stop fighting. Many of you understand what it means to bring the peace between the children. Um, that it just goes to show that even children, and I'm gonna, you'll hear more examples later because I work with kids, so there's that. But even within kids, with adults, with everybody, we understand that war, violence, destruction, death, disease are all something that we know too well. We know these things, and I'm sad to say I think we've become immune to them because, well, that's just the way that the world is. And and I'm sad to say that I think we've lost some hope because we are accepting that this is the way the world is. And now, I'm sure we could spend several minutes um, discussing the types of darkness that we face every time, or every day. The types of war we face every day. Whether it's a physical war fought for the freedom of one party or the other, or it's a war of the mind of yourself or of a loved one, We all face wars. We all face violence. We all face suffering every day. Because again, we hear news stories like Ukraine and Russia. Even the other yesterday, I heard more stories about how they're sending um, maternity clothes to Ukrainian women so that they can fight while pregnant. Like, this is still something we see. But also, we see people who are constantly being Um, hospitalized because of their depression. The spectrum of war is wide. I mentioned even children are privy to violence that the world faces today. And I'm going to give you a few examples of just things that I've seen in my almost nine years of the daycare. The other day I watched a 15-month-old smack another kid in the face with a car on accident. And what did the 18-month-old do? He started slapping the kid in the back of the head. At 18 months old, they understand violence. Our school-age children live in fear of an armed gunman coming into their schools and shooting because what's been in the police report recently? Mass shootings in high schools, in elementary schools. So they live in fear, learning to cower in the corner in case somebody breaks into their building. Um... I've had other children tell, or I've had one child in the daycare, more than one child, tell somebody else, you can't be their friend because they don't like, or because they smell, or because of this, that, or the other. There's still war even that our kids are facing. Wars that we don't understand are being fought because they're happening in our minds, they're happening in other people's minds, and we have no idea what this battle is. We just know that that it's too real. The war and the violence that the king of darkness plays in this world is all too real. Last week... um, So like I said, we pair our lessons up, and um, one of the questions I asked my kids based off of Tanner's sermon last week was, um, what does the kingdom of darkness look like? One of the kids raised his hand as quick as he could, and he said, the devil! I was like, yeah, you're right. Other kids were like, no, that's not, I was like, 
That is. Because who's the king of darkness? Right? And then the other question, or another kid popped his hand up and he says, the place, you know, H-E-L-L. Right? He was trying to be discreet because he's a middle schooler and didn't want to say that word in front of our kindergartners. But again, he understood that that is where darkness lives. And I said, well, yes, but no. And they were confused by that because to them, the kingdom of darkness is hell. But the kingdom of darkness is also rampant here. It's a world filled with sin, a world filled with causing harm to, to God, to others, to oneself, and in general, to the whole of creation. And I mentioned earlier that, oh wait, sorry. And in the kingdom of darkness, where war reigns, there is no such thing as peace. In the world where Christ is not prevalent, there is no such thing as peace. And I want to say this one thing, that not every war that we see is, is seen. Not every battle that is faced can be seen. We have some, some internal wars, wars of our identity, wars of our lifestyle choices, mental health issues, clinical depression, poverty, PTSD, and the list continues. And these are all wars that are internalized. And when those wars are taking place within, it's really hard to have peace within yourself. Words, thoughts, actions, and selfishness are weapons that do just as much damage as any physical weapon could ever do. Now, I want us to keep this thing in mind also. I'm not saying that those with mental health issues or with these internal issues are full of sin. I'm saying that the enemy uses these as tools of destruction. The enemy uses these as weapons to bring not just us down, but to bring the world down. And when there's no peace within a person, it's really hard for them to be, bring peace into the world. Now I say this. Who's in control of overcoming all of these things? Who's in control of stopping wars on earth, of stopping suffering, of stopping violence, of stopping X, Y, and Z? It's not us. God alone will judge the nations. There is somebody who is coming to judge the world and when that person comes, their weapons will be turned into plowshares. This is the hope of Advent, that the peace of Christ will come. And where God reigns, war is absent. Keep that in mind. Where God reigns, war is absent. That's the hope. Well, there's a whole lot of hope in this sermon. It's coming, I promise. Um, When we have God within us, we have peace. When, when we truly allow Christ to saturate us, we have peace. Now, I want to go back to Isaiah and what he is telling the Israelites. He is telling the Israelites 
that God will judge the world, that God will establish his reign on the earth. And when he establishes that reign, the weapons of wars will be turned into tools of recreation or cultivating the earth. They will turn, be turned into tools of healing, tools of redemption, even tools of salvation. And the Israelites are going to get to be a part of this because the day is coming where they will see their Christ. They will get to see the judge. They have to wait a couple hundred years, but they still get to see him. And this is our hope this Advent season. It's not just that this peace was for the Israelites. It wasn't just that this peace was going to happen when Jesus came and then things were going to be done. Our hope this Advent season is that this kind of peace will be established when Christ comes to rule the world. Now, peace is not simply the absence of conflict. This is something I teach my kids frequently because we talk about peace when we go over the fruit of the spirits. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is the restoration of two parties after a conflict. Um... God's peace, God's shalom, is a condition of life-giving goodness that is established in us only through Christ's work of salvation in our lives and only through the Holy Spirit's transformations of our hearts and our minds. So what I mean is if we want true peace as individuals, we soak in the salvation Christ brings and we allow ourselves to, to face the hard work that the Spirit wants to do in us and through us. When we realize the kings of this world have no real power over us, we realize the power that God can have over the world. So what power does God have over this world? All the power. But unless we are willing to give up and to allow ourselves to be transformed, he will not have the power over our lives that we want him to have. Only God can bring us peace. Only God can bring us the shalom in the world that we are looking for. Not how much money we have, not who has the bigger house, the best car, not who has the coolest hairstyle or the best clothes. No, those won't bring us peace. Especially, I think of like Black Friday. Man, all the people that get into fights on Black Friday because they want to get the cheapest item, right? That's not peace because they're only looking out for themselves. Peace is allowing ourselves to be not, or to, to allow, sorry, peace is allowing ourselves to elevate others above us. Only God can bring us this peace. Only God can take away the wars that riddle us. How is this achieved? Well, it's achieved through Christ's coming. This was the, this is what they, the Israelites were waiting for. 
is Christ's coming, right? And we're headed into, we are, well, we are in Advent season. We're heading into Christmas where we are amping up and there is hope and there is joy and there are people singing and, and things are good. Cheer is there because we are getting ready to celebrate the birth of our Christ. But that's not where the peace ends. Christ's coming is just where the peace is beginning. And then, then there's the, we, we face Easter, right? Peace comes in Jesus' death and in his resurrection. Why? Because that's when his rule is established on the earth. And so we celebrate, we look forward and hope not just of Jesus' birth, and not just of Easter coming up in his death and in his resurrection, but we are looking forward to his return again. Because his kingdom is established here. His peace will reign. The kingdom of God is not here yet. I know I just said it is here. But the kingdom of God is not here yet because... Why? We still have sin around us. We still have sin within us. We're not a perfect people. The world's not a perfect place. We still have warring everywhere we look. Again, wars look different, whether it's wars with our mouths, wars with our hands, wars with our thoughts, or wars with our actions. It still happens around us. So no, the kingdom of God is not here yet. And we look with hope and anticipation of the new world where Christ's reign runs supreme and we get to live forever. We get to live with more food than what any of us needs to go around. We get to live at peace and harmony, not just with one another, but with all of creation, right? Because Christ is coming to restore the world, but we cannot get caught up in that. I think too often we get to that, I just can't wait to get to the other side where there is no more war or pain or suffering. I cannot wait to get there. And it's great to hope for that. But that's not where our hope should lie. It's not the only place our hope should lie. Because Christ has already come. That's what we're getting ready to celebrate in a few weeks is his birth the beginning of what will establish his reign. Um, the kingdom of God is here and now, and it's waiting for us to participate in the redemptive work that God can do in us and through us. The world today is filled with conflict, war, sin, violence, and that only ends with pain and despair and suffering. But guys, we have a privilege. And that privilege is that we, as citizens in the kingdom of God that is already here, don't have to live lives filled with those things. We can choose not to live lives filled with those things. And rather, the weapons of the world, we get the opportunity to use and transform them to tools that bring life and bring the life-giving goodness of Christ into the world. We, as kingdoms, or citizens in the kingdom of the world, get to bring the peace. 
I think that that's exciting. We get to bring the peace. So while we wait in expectation for Jesus to return, this is what we get to see. We, when he returns, we will see the earth restored to its full glory, where violence and war are eradicated. When he returns, we will get to see lush lands where people can freely get what they need. When he returns, we will no longer be in fear of war and destruction. When he returns, we will see people working together to build and provide for one another. When he returns, we will be used as tools to cultivate the world. Um, our thoughts, our words, and our actions are all tools that will be used to bring life and to love into this world. This is what we get to participate in. We are called to be active participants in the restoration, healing, salvation, and peace of the world today. That is our hope, that we get to be these participants. We don't have to wait until we die to get to see the kingdom of heaven because we get to live in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus has already come and he's already begun establishing his kingdom here and now. Jesus asks us to lay down our weapons and to love and to care. Jesus asks us to heal the wounded. He asks us to love our enemies. Jesus asks us to speak life into others. He asks us to bring the broken and the weary and the needy to him. He asks us to take care of the poor, the homeless, this is him establishing his reign, guys. I got goosebumps. <laughs> because we get to live in this. All of these things that Jesus is asking of us are so that we can be willing participants in the peace of Christ, in the life-giving goodness of God. We get to be active participants in shalom. That is our hope our hope is in Christ that he is bringing the resurrected world to him. Christ is bringing us to him. Christ has already brought us to him. And our hope is that we get to participate with him in the restoration of the world. So how do we do this? How do we participate in shalom? How do we offer hope to the broken world? Well, we feed the hungry, we clothe the naked, we reconcile our own broken relationships and attempt to help others reconcile their broken relationships. We use our words to bring life to the lifeless. We use our hands to recreate around us. And the list goes on because, well, we're all different. We all have different people we interact with daily, but we also have different talents and gifts that are given to each of us. Right? Some of them overlap, but to each person's talents, they're different. And so how can you be an active, or active participant in establishing the kingdom of God here and now? That's up to you to figure out. It's up to you to be creative participants in the recreation of the world. It's up to you to be the creative, or to use what God has given you to take care of the world that God has given. And that is how you get to participate in the peace of Christ here and now. 
That is how you get to be the hope here and now. Um, I'm going to pray. <laughs> um,